Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Case, and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. Hello, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining me again on this week's episode. Today's episode is a little bit different. Chi Chi, who's a friend and someone who joined in for the Enneagram Summit both last year and this year, and an amazing Enneagram teacher has allowed me to kind of pull the audio and share the recording from our Enneagram Summit. This is abnormal in multiple ways. Normally, the Summit content only exists for those who purchase the Summit, and I never really do interviews on the podcast. So that being said, this feels like a really important one at a really important time. Chi Chi does an incredible job of discussing the importance of the work that we do as white people to create space for the safety of other people. It just is one of the most profound conversations that I've ever had, and I really wanted to share that with you. I shared this on IGTV, so some of you may have seen it there. I figured it's also just a little bit easier to listen to a long-form interview than it is to watch a long-form video. So some of you may have seen it and glossed over it, and I want to make sure that we were having the conversation and we're listening. So if that is you, enjoy the interview, let me know what you think, and here is to always learning, always listening, always growing, and taking real-life action to do the work of dismantling racism in our country. Chi-Chi, I am so excited you agreed to come back this year. I was like biting at the bit, hoping you would you would join us again. I'm really excited to be doing it again. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we get to talk about something really exciting today, but before we do that, can you tell us a little about who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. Um, I primarily spend my days working as a psychotherapist in Denver, so I see individuals, couples, families, and I love my work. And I also work with the Enneagram. I'm a teacher with the narrative tradition. And so I previously been doing one-on-one kind of coaching work with people, but this year I'm just focusing more on teaching. So really enjoying that, exploring new options for what that could look like for this year, but that's primarily what I do. And today we get to talk about power and vulnerability. So I know, like, can we talk a little bit about why that's a conversation that needs to be had and why it's important? Yeah. So I think it is a really important conversation to have for multiple reasons. Um, I think it's a conversation that doesn't happen often enough within the world of the Enneagram and conversations around the Enneagram. And a place I'd like to start as far as why I think is important or one of the reasons why it's important is in common conversation about the Enneagram. Um, as you probably know, the conversations are usually about how we are our types. So I am my type structure. And often when I'm working with someone and right at the very beginning, I say something about how we're not our types. Our types are just the way we navigate the world. They're adaptive and protective mechanisms to protect us. People are very surprised <laughs> because the common conversation is I am a four. That is my identity. That is who I am, right? As opposed to type as a thing we utilize to navigate the world, to keep us safe. So that's important. And I'm starting with that just because for the rest of our conversation, I will be referring to type structure as armor 
which is kind of the visual I use that's helpful for me to think of um, tithe as the armor that we place between us and potential danger or potential threat to avoid pain and to avoid suffering and fear and powerlessness to ensure that we are safe and that we have love and belonging. But it's just armor. It's not who we actually are. Oh, that's so good. And in many circles where I've had conversations about the Enneagram, whether I'm teaching or just observing or participating, the conversation I have found is vastly different if it is a room full of people of color versus a room full of mostly white people. And one of the critiques from the lens of people of color is that a lot of times the conversation around the Enneagram centers a privileged narrative. So for example, in the narrative tradition, we talk about how on the path to transformation and growth, kind of the goal essentially is to move more and more towards living in, in an undefended state. I think it is privileged to define the healthy life as one without armor. Yeah. Right? Because defining it, defining health or defining a healthy life in that way caters best to those who don't face direct harm by putting down the armor. You're like that. I'm like, like, whoo, that's so real. Yeah. And so that conversation, even just that piece of it being, it caters only to those within the center who have privilege, right? Because for many other people, there isn't the privilege of setting down the armor. In particular, again, in the narrative tradition, we talk about loosening the type structures that have served as protective mechanisms over the course of our lives with that reminder of maybe when I was 10 or 12 in this super chaotic environment in my family system, I really did need this armor to protect me because everything was crazy. Nothing made sense, right? But I don't need it now in my 30s because I'm not in that same place. Again, that conversation only honors one part or one experience, right? The experience for those people who might, like for some people, it is true that that's no longer um, a threat. But for many others, the threats continue. The threats are part of everyday lived experiences. And so then, what about them? What about those for whom the armor is still necessary today? Um, so I think this is particularly mind-blowing because it also adds nuance to privilege, right? Because I think I grew up like in a trailer park, like in a really dangerous mm-hmm. environment. And in, when I was first learning about privilege, right, there was that activation of like, well, I didn't have it easy. Right. But then as I continued to sit with that and breathe through that and, and listen, it's like, well, what you're saying is so important because it's like, I don't have to be armored anymore. Like right. I don't, I, that is my privilege is that that is my past. Right. And it's not everywhere. Right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, and also within this, the other reason why I think this is important too, is that a lot of the conversations of the Enneagram are very insular. They're focused on me my best life? How do I grow? How do I reach maturity or wholeness? But it's just very insular and focused on self when in reality, our wholeness and freedom and liberation is interconnected. And so my proposition, one of my propositions today is that the Enneagram is not just a system that helps the individual move towards wholeness and healing, but one that when we hold it differently can move all of us towards collective freedom and liberation and wholeness. So that's why I'm excited to talk about this. I love that this is like the beginning. I'm like hitting so much. <laughs> I want to give you a hug, but can't. 
good for me. Okay. So, um, I know you want to talk about kind of how the different types do show up. Can we go into that? Yeah. So I think a helpful thing to to talk about is vulnerability. We're talking about power and vulnerability, but some working definitions that we can use for vulnerability in this conversation. Um, One is our capacity to be affected in general by life, by external forces. We all have this as a natural condition of humanity, the capacity to be affected. Another type of or uh, definition of vulnerability that we can think about is related to people who are vulnerable. And those are people who have reduced capacity, power, and control to protect their own interests relative to the outside world. So those two definitions, one that kind of shows our common human experience of being affected, Mm -hmm. having the capacity to be affected, and then specifically for people who have less power, control, um, or capacity to protect their interests. So in this next part, I'm going to talk about two types of vulnerability. And I want to credit this work to one of my dear friends and uh, fellow Enneagram teacher, Annie Diamond, whose work you can find at enneagramforwholeness.com. But Annie, um, in I think some writing for her master's program, was exploring different types of vulnerability. I found this really helpful for this particular conversation and also just generally in thinking about the system of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So Annie talks about two main types of vulnerability, hidden and revealed, which are, you know, I think self-explanatory, right? Hidden vulnerability is vulnerability that other people can't see. Revealed vulnerability is vulnerability that people can see. But within those two types, our relationship is defined by choice. So I can choose to hide or I can choose to reveal, but there's also vulnerability that I'm not actively choosing to hide. And there's vulnerability that I'm not actively choosing to reveal. So let's start with hidden vulnerability and those two relationships. Like I mentioned before, as part of the natural human condition, we have various vulnerabilities um, at every moment, but we're not actively choosing to hide them. So an example of this is I've been able to hear perfectly fine for all of my life. But it is an actual vulnerability that at any given moment, I could lose hearing in one or both of my ears. And that would then reveal my dependence on the ability to hear as a way of survival in the world. I could lose a limb. I could lose my eyesight. It's already pretty bad, but I could lose it completely. <laughs> right? So those types of vulnerabilities we're born with, we have, it's part of the human condition. Um, but we're not actively, I'm not walking around actively trying to protect my ears. It's just, that's a vulnerability. I could go, you know, walk down the street and get hit by a car. There's always that vulnerability, but I'm not actively trying to control or protect against it, right? But there are vulnerabilities that we become aware of and we choose to hide. Like we actively make the choice to remain unaffected, to create a barrier to anything that could be threatening because now I'm aware of this vulnerability. This is where I see the formation of type structure in the language of the Enneagram. We have our vulnerabilities that we're born with, the hidden vulnerabilities that we're not choosing to hide, right? But then everybody experiences some experience of pain or suffering or shame or loneliness or any of those things within our formative years. And because our brains are wired for survival, we go, I don't want to experience that again. What do I need to do to make sure I am not vulnerable to that kind of pain again? This is how we form the armor, the type structure. But this is also the normal trajectory of human development. We're supposed to do this. 
when I sometimes come in contact with parents who are learning about the Enneagram, it's like, well, how do I make sure my kid doesn't? It's like, this is part of human development. We all create ego structures. That is part of the process. Yeah. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you can't define for another person what pain will feel like for them. So you could do your very best, for example, as a parent or as a sibling or as a friend without knowing that that still translates as pain or suffering to the other. And their brain is trying really hard to protect against. So it's part of the process. But this is where I see that formation of type structure. We become aware, let's say as a seven, like there's the awareness at some point in your formative years of this feels like pain and suffering and limitation, but no one's helping me figure out how to get out of this. And I feel trapped in this. How do I make sure I don't feel trapped ever again? Hence the armor, right? That, that shows up. And then we hold the armor for so long, we start to think the armor is us, but it's never really us. It's just the way we navigate the world, right? Can you say that again? Just because I think that that's a, a really important sentence. Yeah, we hold the armor and we, we keep it up for so long that we start to think that the armor is who we are. But it's never who we are. It's just the way we navigate the world because of these real experiences we had where maybe as a seven, it's like, I really did feel like I was trapped. Or like for me as a four, it was like, I really feel, felt like I didn't belong. And so these are the armors that I created. So that's with hidden vulnerability. With revealed vulnerability, which is what people can see, again here, the relationship is defined by choice, whether I'm choosing to reveal or whether forces outside of myself are revealing it for me without my control. So when it is revealed by external forces or someone else or something else, or just the nature of being human, in this space, I think of the experience of, let's say, my skin color in this country can be seen as a vulnerability. It is not my choice necessarily in every situation to reveal that. It is just automatically revealed because it's how I show up in a space. It's what you see right away versus the revealed vulnerability with which I make a conscious choice to relinquish my control and extend an amount of trust to the other person, to the outside entity, right? To say, okay, I'm going to put down the armor and I'm going to reveal this vulnerability that I've been hiding. This piece though requires trust because otherwise it would seem really foolish to just put down your armor without first making sure that the outside entity is trustworthy. In the language of the Enneagram, especially in the narrative world, the conversation down to me always like we're trying to get people to move from that conscious armoring, that conscious hidden vulnerability to the conscious revealed vulnerability. Now I know that I have my armor up. It is my work to put it down and trust that I will be okay. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning, that only works for a certain population within the center, right? Sure. So if we're going to have that conversation, and when we do, when I've been a part of, I've heard those conversations in the world of the Enneagram, there isn't very much conversation around trust in addition to it, right? Which is why I emphasize that for the the revealed vulnerability where you choose to do it. Um, there isn't a conversation about trust. It's kind of like the assumption that you will be okay <laughs> if you put down the armor. You will be fine. That, that was true of your childhood, but it's not true now, right? I think a lot of people who live on the margins in our society exist in the space of revealed vulnerability, but the one where there is no active choice on my part, right? So if aspects of your identity, which you have no control over, like, like I mentioned before, skin color, 
sexual orientation, gender, if those things are threatened from the outside world, your vulnerabilities in that arena are always on display, even if you want them to be hidden. There are many times I want to go out into the world and just be invisible, but I can't. Um, so I will still be the vulnerability of showing up as, for example, the only black person in a room full of white people or the only woman in a male dominated space is a constant vulnerability, right? So what does transformation and growth and liberation look like for someone like me, for those whose armor is still necessary? How do we talk about the system of an Enneagram, of the Enneagram in a way that honors that armor is still necessary for some in part due to the action or inaction of others within the circle. Because it's easier to talk about the fact that some people face more harm than others without also addressing but who's inflicting the harm, mm-hmm. right? Who's complicit in the infliction of harm. So can we be brave enough to not just acknowledge the difference in necessity for armor, but to also ask, in what ways do I participate in the harm that requires that person to keep their armor up? Yeah. When I think about conversations I've been a part of and heard around the Enneagram, there can be the tendency for people to go, well, it's that person's work. (laughs) If they did so and so, they would be healthier. So if my friend who's a two could just learn to speak her needs, right, then she would be able to get them met. And it's just like, it's so ridiculous that she thinks that if she speaks her needs, she would lose out on love. Without also asking, obvious and yeah. yes, yes, it's like it's the other person's work to set down their armor to be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Without also asking, how do I make it difficult for this friend who is a two to mm. speak her needs? Yeah. So let's talk through some more examples. If let's let's think about a person who identifies with the type nine, yeah. who is a person of color, who's a woman. Let's say working within a religious, working within the evangelical Christian world, for example. So a woman, person of color, working in the evangelical Christian world, who is a nine. We typically talk about the work of the nine as learning to take up more space, learning to bring their full self to the table and not shrink in order to keep the peace, right? For this particular woman, she would be punished for that in many ways, for taking up space as a Black person, as a woman, as a woman within the male-dominated church, right? She'd be punished for that. She'd be the, the messaging around you need to shrink would be reinforced on so many levels. So what then is her work? And maybe should it start with conversations with the other people within the circle, the circles in which she exists? If she's supposed to take up more space, who gives up space? Yeah. Whose work is it to give up space? When I think about this example, I think of type eights and type fours who tend to take up a lot of the space while demanding other people take up space. But is my work not then to move back so she has room to move forward? I think the same of the US culture, which we often refer to as like a type three culture. When I think about that, is it fair to ask a three, for example, within this culture to set down their armor of needing to come across as successful and, you know, to achieve in order to get approval and love? Is it fair for us to ask them to put that armor aside without realizing the ways in which we reinforce the need for that armor by praising the doing, by applauding success while ignoring the person, Yeah. right? Isn't that our work? But very quickly, like I mentioned before, we make it the other person's work because Instagram is about me yeah. and my life. And it's harder to see how it, we are all connected. 
I think of black culture as a seven culture, at least in my mind, but that avoidance of pain and limitation and suffering and the wanting to just focus on what is happy and light and let's just make good music and dance and eat good food because otherwise we are going to get trapped in the pain and the suffering and limitation. But like you shared earlier, you could say that the work of a seven, which is how this is always talked about, right? Is that that was true back then. It's not true now. You can lean into suffering and you can lean into pain and know that you're not going to be trapped in it. It will end. Well, how, what is the work then of a, a person of color for whom the pain is constant and the suffering is constant and it hasn't ended in half a century, <laughs> right? And I think just empathizing from, from a position of a seven, like I thinking about how so much of this exists because I learned I had to take care of myself and how consistently the people of color are receiving the message that they're, you're, you're only one fighting for yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this is good. And then I think of myself as an immigrant, a black woman who navigates the world with the type four armor. And again, typically the work of a four is talked about as being able to realize that I'm not actually on the outside of belonging, that I actually have connection and love within the circle and not on the outside. In reality, my work has been to learn how to belong to myself because in my day-to-day everyday life, many factors of my regular life remind me explicitly and implicitly that I don't belong. I don't belong as a woman. I don't belong as a black person. I don't belong as an immigrant. So what then is my work? If the only way it's talked about is that my work is to set down the armor and to to really just see that I've always belonged, (laughs) that I'm not on the outside. That's true within myself because I'm working to believe that that is true within myself while also navigating a world that tells me I don't belong. So my armor is still necessary. I mean, I think this is a really important conversation and I don't want to take away from the reality of the fact that like it it is a completely different consistent lived experience to be a marginalized person in our society. And I also want to add that there is an element of like when we experience trauma as adults where this does also resurface and we lose compassion for ourselves in that process. And I think that there's, so like what you're saying, I think, can hold help us to not only see our roles, mm-hmm. but in how we aren't alone in this work and people shouldn't be alone in this work. And if I'm going to be a white person who says, yeah, I'm going to stand in the gap for people of color, but like get impatient with their Enneagram journey, then... Or think about the Enneagram journeys as the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like your work as a seven is the same as the work of a person of color or person who lives on the margin who's also a seven. It's different work. That's part of like those examples I was giving was to highlight the ways in which our work is different yeah. based on the position that you occupy within the circle. Yeah. And not just the circle in here, but like our, the circle of society of, of living, like your positionality influences what your work is with the Enneagram. And so I think, you know, for those who are centered, which in this culture is, cisgendered, heterosexual, white, male, Christian, (laughs) right? For those who are centered, the work is to look at the ways in which your own armor can make it difficult for others who are not in the center to set down their armor. For example, a one who is centered, part of the work is looking at how does my armor as a one living in the center 
that armor of needing to be right, of needing the words, the world to be divided into good and bad, right and wrong, and my definition of right being the ultimate. How does that make that difficult for anybody else to take their armor down if they don't fit into my version of rightness? If that one who is in the center, if their version of rightness excludes everyone on the margin, then it is safer for the people on the margin to keep their armor up. Otherwise, they experience more harm by putting it down if the one isn't doing the work of realizing how their armor impacts other people within the circle, right? So I think that that is the work of the center. Whereas for the people who live on the margins, our work is not necessarily to put down the armor. It is to be able to create, to build an awareness of self separate from the armor so that I have choice as to when I hold it up and when I put it down. I can observe and when a space and a person and a place is trustworthy, I can put down the armor. Otherwise, I'm always carrying it and it's heavy to keep that armor on all of the time. But I live with the reality that the world as it is right now is not a space where I can put the armor down all of the time. Mm -hmm. So my work is creating that space for me that, like I said before, that has looked like doing the work of belonging to myself and being able to be in contact with what's my true self? What's the essential nature that's always there, that's always been there? And then what's the armor that the foreness creates for me to protect me? From pain, from the pain of abandonment or of not belonging, right? There are certain situations in which that armor needs to be up in my life. But then there are certain relationships and places and situations where I can put it down and go, I just get to be. Yeah. But that's not the case all of the time for people who live on the margin. So my hope for this conversation is people realizing that our work is different and that for us all to actually be free and to experience wholeness and liberation and healing. It requires us not just talking about the Enneagram as it pertains to just me, but how does my armor impact the people around me, especially if you live in the center? Yeah. I'm like, I I normally have a lot more questions than this. (laughs) I'm like so mind blown and that I'm a little bit frozen. You know, and I I think this is really freaking important and good and revolutionary. Like, I don't think I've ever thought about this is going to like impact everything it should it should yeah my hope is that it does is there anything lingering that you're like I want to make sure this gets said or that people leave with with this understanding not really I think I would just emphasize again you know like thinking about for the people listening thinking about your positionality and then being conscious of what is my work in relation to the whole and then for the people who, li- who are listening, who live on the margin in some way, how do I ensure that I am building an awareness of self separate from armor so that I have the choice and the freedom to put down the armor when the external space is safe without feeling shame, guilt, judgment about needing to still have the armor? Yeah. Um, because that can, that can definitely be part of the experience when the Enneagram is only talked about in the ways that you know, we've mentioned earlier that only work for a certain population of people. It's like, well, if my life is healthiest when I'm undefended, then I guess I'm never going to be healthy because I need the defense in this world that I live in. If we choose to take part in the collective responsibility, Mm -hmm. then maybe we can move towards a world in which we all need armor less 
But until these conversations really take root, until we start to do this work, I don't think that it is reasonable to expect that everybody within the circle will be able to live in a way that is less defended. Um, I want to just say thank you for, I think you did something you like you coming in and speaking on this, I think is very, like there's not a guarantee of safety. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really fucking brave. And I really, I think it's important, honorable work. And I'm grateful that you took the time to do that. Thank you. Yeah. That was yeah. a lot of emotional labor. It was. Yeah. Um, I'm not crying. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> and I'm happy. Um, so can you tell everyone how they can stay in touch with you, how they can, you know, go to workshops and, and keep up with your work? Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram at thinspaceco. Um, you can also find me on my website, thinspaceco.com. That's where you can email me if you want to work together. I occasionally teach workshops in the Denver area. And um, that information will be easily, most easily found on my website. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Chi Chi, for your wisdom and sharing that with us. And if you are a Patreon member, I do want you to know that I had a very open, rambly, vulnerable conversation about my thoughts on these topics, my thoughts on how I've decided to show up in this time, how I've grown, what I'm learning, how I think Enneagram plays into it, what being a type seven has meant for me in terms of anti-racism work. So if that's something that you're interested in, that is in Patreon as one of our quick chats. I always appreciate you guys for being here but especially for those of you who listen to this episode. I think it's really important and it means a lot and says a lot about who you are. So thank you. And if you can, there are some amazing places to donate. There are amazing people to call, emails you can send to really see some action taken. I'll have those resources linked in the show notes for you. So go click on the show notes Make a donation, make a call, shoot an email. Let's make a difference. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.